Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 97 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. I'm excited about this one because me and Eric Bouguera were chatting off air, kind of comparing notes. We're catching up a little bit. We got to hang out back in the late fall of last year when Eric and the Prescript team, along with you probably have heard of Dr. Jordan Shallow. He's maybe the face and the figurehead of the, the group. Uh, we're here in town doing their upper body intensive. And I actually want to throw this right out there, especially for my Edmonton-based people. They're coming back September 17th and 18th to Edmonton for lower body intensive. They're also going to be in Surrey, BC the week prior, the 10th and 11th of this September for their upper body intensive. So if you're not on sort of, if Prescript is not on your radar, Prescript is really becoming one of the, I think, the premier educational vehicles for movement and dare I say biomechanics, which is sort of becoming a dirty controversial word in our space. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but uh, if you're not super familiar with Eric, so again, as I mentioned, Jordan Shallow is kind of the, the big figure in that, and but Eric's uh, a key part of the team, and I guess you have a master's in kinesiology, uh, bachelor of science of human nutritional sciences, and uh, you've also written for a bunch of publications. Bar Bend is, I think, the one you put most notably. Anyway, it's great to have you on. Thanks, man. Good to, good to sit down again after about a year away and seeing where both of our careers have kind of spun off to since seeing each other live in the original intensive. It's been a while. Yeah, it's that, that's something that's fun is, you know, going to events. I just came back from speaking at something in Spokane and, you know, seeing what some of my friends' careers have, what's happened with them. And a, a lot can happen in a year. I think the big key is people don't see the years that led up to it. So, you know, I guess I did want to ask about Prescript and kind of, you know, it's a big, it's in a big place now, but kind of how did Prescript come to be? You know, how did you step into your role and, you know, maybe some key behaviors and some components that have led to you guys and your success. There's some things I've observed, but I want to hear it from your point of view. Yeah. Like to paraphrase some of the stories from the founders, like Jordan Junta and Jordan Shallow, they, they, and it's actually, I don't even have to necessarily paraphrase because I think we all have our own distinct paths to the team. But even though they may have distinct like educational backgrounds, distinct experiences, we all kind of arrived at the same place because of the same reasons. So like I went through my academic career, they did chiropractic, but on the tail end, when we came out, I was like, wait, is that it? That can't be it. Like you don't just, I, I learned a bunch, but how do I actually synthesize this? How do I return value and actually harness what I just learned? And that isn't necessarily throwing shade in any particular degree, any particular vocation, but it's at the end of the day, this weird like gap between accomplishing the academic side or the knowledge-based side and then how to actually put it into practice. Now, what brought, I think, most of the team together is that every single one of us concurrent to our educational side of things, be it completely on the floor as like our, our guy Killian is like 100% like just experiential or some of us that have the hybridization of academics and, and experience, we were always doing the thing all the way through. So we always were gleaning perspective on here's the things that we're learning from either our, our degrees, our education, our books, our what have you. Okay, how do I actually make this make sense in training? How do I fold this into the totality of how I would teach someone from like absolute beginner all the way through or where are the insertion points that would best benefit them along the way? So for the, the big guys at the top, like Shallow and Junta, that was chiropractic. And then they went off into back for Junta, Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit was his kind of uh, area of expertise. Shallow was doing uh, more strength and conditioning as his primary sort of vocation, got into some tech areas as well, but it's powerlifting. I was, I was a personal trainer trying to like 
hedge my my knowledge into something I could benefit my craft with. Uh, Killian all the way through was just like, why don't you guys understand this? I just did this on the floor and it makes sense. And all the way across the board, we sort of arrived at the same place where how do we, and I use the term when we're off air, but how do we help people gain perspective on what actually matters, what is going to be effective, and where all the moving parts of your education come into play in a realistic situation? Cool. Um, I know that Jordan Shallow is uh, sort of an interesting character because he's really down to earth. He's definitely kind of the 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 one with the big social media. He's got the big media presence. He's worked with, you know, he came up through, spent a lot of time with say Dan Green, the, the famous powerlifter. He's worked with super famous people like Shaquille O'Neal and all the way through. But you could also tell through Jordan's media. I think one of the reasons why he's inherently likable is there's not, there's not much ego going on there. I, I know from talking to him, I think he would rather just not ever even have to do social media if it wasn't the business side of stuff. I think he would really just like to travel the world with his girlfriend and teach and educate people and lift. Uh, but he's benefited from it. But he features his team and everybody prominently. He'll he'll show, you know, Brandon Schultz, who's local here to Edmonton, who was part of your guys' uh, thing when you did it here last year. And I'm assuming, I, I was talking to him and I'm pretty sure he's going to be part of you guys uh, here in Vancouver. And it just... Jordan does not care about building himself up into being this, this big figure. If anything, he seems to be very intent on making sure that his team is forefront and kind of standing on equal footing. And I, and I don't necessarily see there's a lot of that in the industry. Yeah, Jordan's one of the most unique people I've ever encountered because of the degree of once you pass the initial sort of, I almost say personality test, like if we mesh, like, the degree of trust that he'll impart upon you, if not to perform like immediately to have the skills or the understanding on how to get to that level. Like the second I was on the team, it's basically, here's the keys to the kingdom. You almost never have to interact with me. I trust your decision-making. And for someone like me, like I've taken a, a pretty prominent role in the community development side of things. And like our labs, our pre-suit collective that is continuous ongoing interactions with the entirety of our community he effectively is just like, go forth and do good. He understands my perspectives. We, we have a, a matching personality to the degree to which I'm not misrepresenting if I ever have to, like we are now, sort of talk, not necessarily on his behalf, but like give a uh, perspective on it. And that's the thing, like Schultz, Bax, Killian, everybody, like once you're in, it's because you've sort of established within his mind, and I would presume Junta as well, that you're effectively a family. And that degree of trust then turns into amplification because the better we can all do, the more reach we can all have, the better it is for pretty much everybody. And there's a few things about, you know, Jordan, like I remember and Jordan invited me to come hang out at the, the last one and I'd had him on the podcast and we just knew who each other were through some mutual connections. Now, Jordan and I are actually from the same place, Newfoundland, you know, Eastern Canada. We didn't grow up together. He's quite a bit younger than me. Uh, so we didn't know each other back then, but there's that, right? Uh, Jeff Nippard's also from Newfoundland too. It's like this tiny, there's not a lot of people originally from there, but you get the famous bodybuilder, Frank McGrath is an old friend of mine from there as well. But uh, one thing I noticed, and I put this in presentations as an example, Jordan makes people feel important. He remembers names in, in these interactions at these events. And I could tell that people who had met him before like hunter for example like i noticed that like he does treat people like their old friends and, and family and it's very endearing and i can see why people would 
develop a, a loyalty to the community. And you guys all did this, right? Like there, there's, again, there's, there's no ego. There's no, like someone says something it's wrong. And instead of like, I've been at places where the person presenting will literally can't help themselves, but sort of in a condescending clap back, make the person feel stupid, right? I've been made to feel stupid at events before by people who surprise me, but Jordan flips it the other way. And he finds a way to nuance it. And you guys all do so that way you don't leave someone feeling afraid to kind of take guesses and try to be curious about the process. And that actually says a lot. And I wish more people would take that kind of approach the way that you guys did as a team. Yeah, I think it goes back to what I was saying, but we all kind of went through our own individual path through education. And for me, I can speak to me. Like I just sat on my hands and cruised through it. Like what didn't really ask too many questions. I absorbed the information. And then through my experience in my career, started to realize like, wait a second, how do I make all this make more sense than just a textbook re reapplication? But a lot of the guys more advanced than when I got there had questioning perspectives all the way through that I, I don't mean to speak on their behalf for here, but most likely was not necessarily uh, nourished or encouraged. Like when your hand shoots up, and you have a contrary opinion or a question, like it wasn't, okay, why do you think that? Let me see if I can get you up to where we are in terms of our perspective or our understanding of this concept. It was no, sit down. And I, this may or may not have happened, but I know that a lot of people have that experience because of the amount of lab sessions that we run where we're so encouraging of please put your camera on, be involved. Do not be afraid to ask a question because it's on us to under make sure that you understand all the things that we're trying to teach you. The, the old adage of there's no dumb question, because if you raise your hand with a question and you genuinely didn't understand the concept that I taught you, that is literally my responsibility. So as you're saying, I, I've never really understood that perspective. And that's why I think that we have such an engaging community, because the second one person does it and they realize like not a single thing that you can say would be condescending, mocked any, to any degree. We want to make sure that you walk away, especially when we're giving out certifications. If we're giving a stamp of approval, we want to make sure that you're going to understand how to interpret and actually apply everything that we're teaching you. I noticed the, the closest comparison, I, I've noticed that like Jordan's presence individually, he's got both the, the sharp intellect, but the sense of humor that only Dr. Mike Isertel is sort of a similarity. And then your guys' team, the way that you will travel and like literally hit up everywhere. You guys are very travel intensive. And I suspect that your willingness to go and see people in person face to face has got to be one of the biggest keys as to why you guys have grown to the degree you have. And that's something that RP is also well known for doing. So is this sort of a, just a convergence of coming to the same conclusion or is looking at the way that RP does things maybe influenced you guys in at least some way? With that respect, like I jumped on the train when they were already doing that. Um, for, so from my perspective specifically, I can tell you that there's a no more fun thing to do than actually get back in person and teach live with humans. Because not only is it a fun interaction to just meet new people. Also, for those that don't realize it, we're very decentralized on this team. I'm in Winnipeg. As you said, Schultz is out in Edmonton. Shallow is who knows where at any given point in time. <laughs> right like everybody's spread out amongst the the continents effectively so when we land in person it's a reunion every time we're just getting to have the best time ever so and i think that also bleeds into the experience for everybody else but there's just something in particular about knowing the degree of control over the education that you can impart upon someone from like a zoom call that shuts off after an hour 
and has like in, in the courses, especially like there's very minimal interaction. That's why the labs exist because you have to get through the content itself. You have to insert that in someone's brain. Whereas on the floor in the intensives, and that's one of the most fun aspects of it is here's our skeleton outline. I trust that all of you know, generally speaking, what we're all talking about. Minimal planning outside of like the key like framework of the day of what we're trying to educate. And then it's playing it by ear based on what the room needs in terms of what are they currently fixated on in the industry? Where do they maybe need more time to absorb the concepts and so on and so forth. So we don't walk in blind per se. We have the skeletal framework of the education that we want to impart across the weekend, but it's very an ebb and flow based on what we receive from the crowd too. So there's a couple of points there, but there's nothing more enjoyable and engaging than getting to go from the internet sort of just yelling into the void to actually seeing real people that you know are going to go back on Monday and actually have an interaction with another human that they can use what you're teaching them to make a difference. And I think that's coming from such a good and honorable place. You could, it, it's obvious that you guys care about making the coaches and the end users experience better, which means that it's pure, which means that you guys will continue to do it and you'll continue to thrive in that space. Because again, like I said, I've seen, I've seen you guys in your presence, your impact grow. So let's tie this into something that I think, well, we certainly were talking about this off air. So I want to handle this one in nuance. But it starts with something that you posted on your social media recently and it said, quote, you can and likely will make huge gains from exercises of convenience. Now, to me, that was a metaphor for something that I actually I touched on yesterday as well. And I think our industry has become caught up in a ton of argument and tribalism over optimality, training methodology. And it's become quite a battleground and it's getting worse. And I'm noticing that trend and it's showing up on multiple fronts. I'm not just referring to one particular thing. Uh, I think that that's bloody red ocean theory. And I think that we are missing the opportunity, which is the vast majority of people who are not active. I think that helping those people is going to do greater good. I think a lot of this battling and, I think there's an audience for optimality. I really do think that's important and they'll self-select to it. But I think this stuff, if there's too much of it, it's too forward facing. I think it actually creates barriers to access to the industry versus it is helping. So I wanted to see your thoughts on this. And we're just going to open it wide to the rise of tribalism. It exists within the biomechanics world. Uh, it's much broader than that. Go ahead, just dive in. There's a couple of things like one is it's confusing to me because like we do course development here and I have an academic background, meaning I've like written studies, I've gone through a thesis process, I've gone through peer review. So I've combed literature several times in, in the exercise science field. So this isn't to say that people putting out information are everybody thinking that something new is about to pop off. But most of especially the most crazy topics going around now, it's like these are all things that have been around for decades. Um, it's becoming more and more popular, but the degree to which you have to dig through literature to find a nugget of this thing or the depth of physiology you have to go to probably makes a small to insignificant difference in how you would actually then like change how you would train on a daily basis. So the disproportionate level of angst over certain details that at the end of the day, that's kind of my litmus test. I'm like, okay, let's absorb what everybody's saying because I act from the perspective of not you're wrong, I'm right, but how can I absorb something from you that I can then apply to myself, which I feel like is what everybody should be doing. Um, 
but you just start seeing things and everybody gets super, as you use the term tribal, like up in arms on social media posts because for reasons, and it's like, okay, well on Monday, we're all going to go do generally the same thing we were doing before. So the amount of energy put into researching, citing this social media caption, trying to make sure that you're delivering some useful bit of content. And then the, the literal sword fights and knife fights that are happening in the comments, I'm still going to go do the thing I was going to do because there wasn't enough of a magnitude of difference. Like the impact that this would make on the totality of my progress is not large enough that it would actually change my best practice right now. And that's the same as when people start to cite a new paper or any literature that is all of a sudden flying in the face of current best practice or current best understanding. That's not how it works. It's the body of literature guides decision-making. And that doesn't mean that you can't make your own personal decision on what to do, but you're not going to just throw a singular thing in someone's face and be like, ha I was right. That's not how it works. So that's number one, is just the confusing nature of how everything has already generally been discovered. And it's just emerging in different platforms, using maybe different phrases, more buzzwords are happening. And the amount of disproportionate sort of focus and power that people give these things especially when they're not going to make a huge difference. And then the, the one you raised, like the exercises of convenience, um, it sort of harkens back to when uh, you were probably around for this as well. When online training started a couple decade, decades ago, when it was not well received, it was not widespread. Anybody on the floor was like, that's some bullshit right there. Like how, how am I supposed to deliver anything? And it's like, oh, people are being successful online because they have this archetypical, perfect model human that they're going to give the most, it could be basic or it could be most advanced. It doesn't really matter because they're a 20, 21 year old, male or female, physiologically primed to make gains. They want to do a, a fitness competition of some kind and they're willing to just tank their entire life in that one streamlined direction of diet, exercise, sleep, no hobbies. They're pre-exposing themselves. They're, they're predetermined that they want to do that. Whereas now it's much more broad. And I think a lot of the intricate details that would benefit maybe that one crowd that was formerly the, the dominant sort of crowd that was doing online. Now we're in the, the weeds in a lot of ways in biomechanics and in a lot of these new physiology sort of concepts that are emerging in social media where they definitely have their point of application. They're definitely useful in certain contexts but for the more broad sweeping context of especially new trainers trying to build their initial business in an online platform where they would never necessarily be qualified enough in the eyes of someone looking to do a show that would be the person that this information would most benefit. How does that help them aside from making them super confused, making them think they don't know anything about anything and then paralysis by analysis. So a long cycle that we're all the way back. I think I answered about three or four different prongs of that, but that's like, these are the things that I grapple with. So if you, if you look at some of my social media posts, there's no, usually there's not many specifics unless there's like some concrete takeaways on how you can like apply this to make your mind more at ease if you're just getting started. Because if I were to discuss maybe my target audience, the students of Prescript, new trainers, new trainees, stuff like that. Like I still very much so hold a place in my heart for new gen pop people that I was training live and in person before I started online. So that's kind of where I, apply a lot of my my wisdom and try to make sure people understand that all of this stuff in this camp is definitely true and valuable here's the stuff that you should be focusing on right now and then eventually progressing there this can be true this can be clinically or factually correct 
but in terms of practical applicability, completely irrelevant right now for you. So like giving people more of a broad picture perspective is my goal, I guess. A couple of things that I think are actually cool to tease out of this. And I'll, I'll second, I'll actually talk about the origins of where online coaching actually came from for people. But uh, first, you mentioned the way that you approach your social media. I do the same. My social media rarely has explicit specifics. Uh, I, I save the stuff for articles. Just today, there's a new article published. Me and Tony Gentilcore have been working on something for a while for T Nation. And it is a complete head-to-toe guide of deadlifting. It was something I did a squat one uh, last year and I wanted to do a deadlift one. I thought, well, Tony's the Jedi of deadlifting. So let's bring him in on it. And he's a good friend. And it it is kind of step-by-step. It has nuance to it. But we're talking about the discussion of like head position, which people tend to get polarized about, right? Or it's literally every aspect along the way to basically help someone technically get through, optimize their individual deadlift. It's not one size fits all, uh, but it goes in a great technical detail. That I save that kind of stuff for articles, right? And I see people going in in this great depth of their social media posts. It's like, you know, that social media post is gone tomorrow. Like write that in an article, put that in an article, something that's searchable, indexable forever. Right? Like That's content creation theory right there for most people. So just grab onto that. Now, the online coaching stuff, as you alluded to, I think there's really two origins to where this stuff started. And one is what you said. It's the the bodybuilding coaches, right? The, the show prep stuff, where mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like, here's your meal plan. Here's your workout. You know, there's no videos to show technique. Nothing's like here, just go squat, go do rows, blah, blah, blah. They're probably dealing with that population were probably fairly experienced. So these people probably already knew what they were doing. So really they're just, it's a program. It's less coaching, it's more program and then adjustments Mm -hmm. along the way. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, someone can adjust over the internet versus working with someone in person. And then the second place was this big community of, you know, long established coaches who, through who had status in the industry was a bit more gate kept because, you know, you didn't have social media. So you had to rely on being published on major websites. T nation is a classic example. So a lot of the, the legacy T nation people, your Thibodeau's and your, your Tony Jell, of course, your Dean Somersets uh, and, and even before them, they were in this space before online coaching was popular. So they were known figures in the industry. So people started reaching out to them saying, Hey, you know, I live in Norfolk, Virginia, and you're up in Edmonton, Canada, but I want you to train me. So I think a lot of them learned to develop, well, how can I, you know, send video back and forth, do this over email, create spreadsheets, and they built up these systems and this sort of community was tight. So they sort of, I think, taught each other this system for the people who just wanted that specific person and level of expertise. That's now scaled social media, John Goodman's influence, Online Trainer Academy eventually sprung from that, the prediction that online training would become more ubiquitous. COVID probably did 10 years worth of, of like trend, smash it into six months. Uh, and then all of a sudden, everybody is a hybrid online trainer. And, and I think that's an important skill now. So that's kind of a little bit of my interpretation of the history of how it came to be to where now it's seen as a viable, normal option as opposed to the fuck like why would i pay money to have someone train me over the internet right which i think was more of a prevailing sentiment uh so i think that the whole tribalism aspect and i i you know i apologize to the listeners because i've actually touched on this a little bit but for other coaches i kind of want you guys to be able to navigate this stuff recognize it 
understand it. I don't think tribalism is inherently bad. I mean, I think prescript has developed a strong tribe around it. I think precision, uh, well, may, maybe not so much precision nutrition. I'm sure they have RP, Renaissance periodization for sure has a very strong tribal aspect to it. But what I notice with you guys and with RP and other tribes is I don't see them tending to drop into battlegrounds on social media. Whereas I'm noticing more and more there is that sort of thing. And oftentimes the figureheads of particular movements or concepts, they may or may not be combative, but sometimes it's the next layer down that are carrying the torch. They're kind of the, the missionaries of the purpose. They very much treat the, the stuff like religion. And I think that people would benefit greatly from actually understanding biomechanics. It's one of the reasons why I like Prescript so much. But I think it's also worthwhile recognizing that when someone treats it like a religion, and then if someone says something that is contradictory to your belief system, and then people start feeling the need to vocally and violently defend their belief system, you're starting to get into problems. So I, I don't want, I want coaches to recognize this behavior, understand what it is, not get sucked into it. And maybe more than anything else, like I said earlier, it, social media now, the way that a lot of times things are said or policed, it can discourage people from putting themselves out there for fear of being attacked. I mean, I think that's always been a concern, always, always been a concern, but I worry that that's kind of more of an issue right now. You know, any more thoughts on this? No, you're bang on. I've had numerous conversations and it's one of the things that I tackle in lab a lot and I very intentfully navigate the conversation because again, like in this stage of Prescript, as it continues to expand, it might be one of the first certifications that a new trainer pursues. Like maybe they get their like the standardized personal training certification and then Prescript level one is like up top there, right? So they have minimal experience and they're concerned and confused with how to interface with the internet because now, as you said, online is basically the new standard hybridization of how you go about your career. You do some in-person, hopefully, because there's extreme value in doing that. Um, but online is kind of like the low barrier to entry, like adjunct that most people are or will do shortly. But how do you articulate your content? What is your content? Who's your audience? Like all of these things that I know you've been very prominent and vocal about as well, trying to help people understand in terms of building a social media platform. One of the most common things I get as feedback or questions is the, the genuine fear that they're going to get dunked on or flamed by so many people the second they put themselves out there. And there's always been, we've been around since the inception of the internet. There's the Call of Duty chat room style. Like the second you put yourself out there in any respect, it could be here is a photo of my lunch. Someone is going to attack you verbally for no particular reason. That will happen at some point. It's fine. Like just that's, that's the no, no, notorious aspect of the internet. But when it comes to like actually producing content, like I actually modeled a strong amount of how I go about mine after what I saw you being successful doing with yours. Cause you have some photos obviously, but it's very, it's word centric. And you have like, if you look at mine and you look at yours, I'm like, I'm going to do the black thing, like the black background one text and then a tome of a caption because that's me one part of creative expression one part how i best articulate these ideas is through written processes but i am too lazy and don't have the craftsmanship to do an actual curated social media and i was like well andrew's over there doing it very successfully using the the twitter slash the caption style like post sick if that and it's like if that's possible i'm following it because that's right up my alley right it's much easier to implement i see people 
you know, they get this really, you know, nice looking photo and there's a caption underneath and the caption has nothing to do with the photo. And I think, you know, if you're speaking to your strongly built audience, okay, that make that works, but people grab onto concepts. And what I try to do, and it's what you described, is you get a very simple resonant concept in your initial image. That's simple. Then you build it out in a caption. A mistake people make is they, Canva can be a great way to create a great graphic. But if you're explicitly using Canva to bypass the Twitter character limit, you're making a mistake. If your text has more than the Twitter character limit, it becomes too small, too cluttered. People scroll past it. Put the rest of it. There's two ways to do it. One, actually build out slides, the carousel style. Like this thing is really big now. It's And I, I find just, I don't always have the energy to like flush these out, but just carousel Twitter style posts. They're super popular. I've got a few of them. They did great. Um, some other people like uh, Juan D. Wellness, uh, Daniel Rosenthal. There's a couple others. They've just been binging on this stuff and, and John Goodman, they've been killing it with them. Or just stuff it in the caption. Either way, but just don't try to put it all into the first slide. Hook people's attention. It's about a hook. I mean, it's classic marketing. It's classic, classic sales copy is hook them in and then build out your concept, practice the skill of, of sharing your ideas. So the way you're doing it's great. I also think it's really helpful to actually have your image and your name on the slide, but not anything else that really competes with the message. The message should still be forefront. And it's why the Twitter posts have eternally worked. The only thing that's sort of, but not really working against is the fact that Instagram's so goddamn determined to push reels and be TikTok, which there seems to be a lot of pushback on this. So hopefully, you know, that that pushback takes hold enough that Instagram doesn't just fundamentally turn itself into TikTok because I'm noticing that there seems to be sort of a pushback against how shitty TikTok is. I used to be more bullish on it. I never embraced it. And now I'm just kind of like, nah, especially the fitness side of it. It's a really toxic battleground in there and I don't like it. Well, those are two really good points, right? That, that sort of dovetail off what I was getting at with like my style is an emulation of your style, which is a suboptimal, to use that phrase, method of harnessing a photo and now apparently video-based medium. But with that comes the concession of, I will have a following that grows more like very organically, slower, but be genuine. I'm not necessarily concerned with the absolute total as long as it's slowly going up because I will almost genuinely know every single person. Uh, and it is, it runs in line with my personal, I don't know, like my, my philosophy, my person, my personality, like I'm not having to alter any part of me to then be changed by the algorithmic nature of social media. Like what is popular? I am willing to make the concession there and have a slower growth, slower impact, slower, whatever, but have it all be genuinely applicable to my, my followers and also genuine to who I am. And I think that that's something that gets lost in the sauce of all social media and trying to like actually exist there as a trainer or an educator, quote unquote. And you raise the TikTok thing and I completely skipped TikTok. Absolutely. Like never once considered it as an option because it is so far removed from who I am as a person to actually do not only the content side of things and creation side of things, like in no way do I have the time or patience for that, but also just the, as you said, the toxic nature of it. I skipped it completely again, being fully aware and okay with the concessions that I'm making therein. And you want to know it's wild? I guarantee both of us have a very successful training career, as well as we're making meaningful impact for the people that seek out the things that we're doing. Because that's the other side of the coin. You can have this wildly explosive following. And this is me speaking directly to people just getting in the industry. 
that is literally having zero impact on any one of those people because you're attracting the people that want to see your content. If you're having knife fights in every comment section, likely the people you're attracting are the ones that want to have whatever their opinion is validated and will go to war over it, regardless of if it is meaningful or not. Or I'm going to say that your comment section is probably pretty rich with people supporting each other because you fostered that culture and the people that want to be involved in that and make progress in that direction are going to seek you out as well. So there's a couple of moving parts there, right? You, you actually hit on something I'm kind of, I'm very deliberate about now. And I try to, I literally say that most of the stuff I post is very hypoallergenic. If someone is offended by something I post, they're really looking to, to pick fights, right? Um, they're twisting something or they're pretty extreme in some sort of ideological narrative that they just have said, saw something and I've said, and it's like, nope, that doesn't align with my worldview. I'm going to fight about it. So what does that do? A, it doesn't cause me much stress. I very, very seldom have any sort of stressful interactions on social media. And yeah, every once in a while, some shitbag troll shows up. Cool. Restrict them, block them, delete the bullshit. If it's not a genuine, thoughtful point counterpoint of disagreement that wants to explore the nuance of it, don't give them a time of day. It's going to stress you out, right? And if you're look, you know, what's the saying? Don't go looking for snakes. You might find them. You know, if you're posting shit that is going to invite controversy, you know, if like every once in a while, I'll mention something about keto, but it's like, it's usually pretty nuanced. It's not like, oh, keto is fucking stupid. It's like, you know what? Keto probably works for the, the people who will best self-select to it. I don't think you should evangelize it as the greatest thing ever. It probably worked for you, but it may not be useful for your friends. Cool. Awesome. But if you're really going at keto and the keto tribe finds it and reshares in their community, guess what? You're going to have keto warriors in, in your post or carnivore warriors or whatever. And, and that's not really that fun for most people. It's distracting. Uh, it takes away your mental energy to do other things. And quite frankly, if you're working with a lot of clients in person or online, it'll be in the back of your mind and you're not fully present. And I can't afford that. I'm not willing to, to do that. I have a very full-time in-person business. I cut down on my online coaching clientele roster just because I was finding the whole entirety of it was to totally overwhelming. And so I found more of a balance for me. And I think in both of our cases, we have the advantage to get it's an advantage. It's almost not fair to say this of having the background of an already established business, right? Especially with what you're doing with Prescript, you're already there. So social media becomes a, a luxury, whereas there's a lot of people who are looking at using social media as a vehicle to grow their business into something that they want because right now they're a bit newer, they're not busy. So I also want to give those people stuff that will help them. I think it's really important to showcase your skills and your philosophy that way. But I think controversy and combativeness is a shortcut that's not going to get you, and you said it, it's going to attract the type of people who want to fight, but it's not going to attract the kind of clientele that will lead you where you want to go. Yeah, that's one of the things that I see sort of permeating the industry a lot is a misappropriation of content versus audience, at least in my perception. Like, are, are the people making a ton of content daily? And especially that's something that I'm, <laughs> I'll go stretches like a weeks where I don't post anything because I have nothing to say. Like, if I can scroll back far enough in my own timeline with how little I post relative to some people and be like, well, I said something similar there. Why? Why am I going to rehash it? The internet exists. It exists forever. You can scroll back. I know people don't because the attention span is very very short and you need that dopamine every day or at least that's the perception but again it's one of those willingness to concede things based on maybe i'm just a salty older gentleman on the internet at this stage but, but yeah like the 
the, the perception and necessity of blowing up fast, because in, in both prongs, there is a filtering process. Like the more exposure points you have, the more likelihood you have to actually gain client. But most of the content is geared towards another person trying to, it's, it's the phrases, the concepts, the everything. It's as though we, like any one of us at Prescript, teach like one of the labs or one of the classes, what have you. And then the person going out, and this is something we noticed and started course correcting hard within our labs and within all our interactions is you are a trainer. You're not trying to just regurgitate our content the way that we framed it to you because we're teaching it to you as a trainer. You need to figure out how to vocalize this to someone that has no idea about any of the content that you have already experienced. How do you distill this down to the lowest common denominator that may be perceived as suboptimal or borderline incorrect? I don't know, you went to school. Every year you went through a grade, it's almost as though the previous grade's content, science, grade two, three, four, five, whatever it was, it's been a while, I don't remember entirely, but the degree to which they had to skim detail because my brain can't handle NASA level stuff in grade two, they have to build on it to get you there. Like that's the concept that people have to like be able to put into play. Like your educational content needs to be scaled to the level of the person that can actually absorb it and then use it. So I see a lot of content coming out where if you're trying to attract me as your client, you're not going to because I'm not looking for coaching right now. Um, so all of these super advanced ways of you generating your daily like drip and then the way you're phrasing it, the way you're trying to say you should implement it, things of that nature is not applicable to the real person probably seeking potential clientele or uh, rather potential coaching. It's, uh, God, there's so much in all this stuff. I really hope everybody listening is actually teased out a lot. I hope it's helpful. Um, I certainly think that if you have any specific questions about either Eric's approach to this stuff or probably more specifically what he's doing with Prescript, go follow what you're doing. So what's your Instagram for people to follow you? Uh, it's just my name. So Eric Baguera, no, no space, no dot, no nothing. E-R-I-C-B-U-G-E-R-A. Um, Honestly, at this stage, you could probably click on anything prescript wise and we all get tagged in it. So you can just find it, navigate it through there as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find the whole prescript team, I, I just like your guys' energy, right? So, um, and I try to, I like aligning with companies and individuals who whose energy I like more. I mean, shit, I've got some people on my social media that I've, I've interacted with before and they tend to get a bit more combative or they're sometimes in the weeds of this stuff. And you know what? I think everybody has their place. And I think, again, people will self-select to follow what they need to follow. But uh, for me, and again, I'm trying to encourage everybody possible who's trying to grow a career out of this stuff. And especially if you want to grow your media, you know, I, I think there's a better way than taking shortcuts when it comes to really polarizing stuff. Um, I just don't have the energy. I don't want to be the liver king. I don't want to be a, a, a fake construct built on just absurdity uh, and sensationalism. And I, I've, I've had a lot of good fortune with the, the pace of the growth of social media. I've committed like just a point to, I don't think anybody's obligated to post every day. I've sort of made it a commitment because it's a piece of the habit. We all find our habits. It's kind of like our fitness habits. It's very analogous to it, where it's something I've committed to doing and there are days where I just don't have the inspiration or the ideas to share something. I think, hey, this, I, I don't want to share things just for the sake of sharing them. So I'll often take older stuff that's done really well and repurpose it, use it again. And it always performs exceptionally well. People love it. You know, it's not like nobody says, oh, I, you shared that before, like six months ago. What the fuck? 
It's more like, oh, I shared it last time and I love this. I'll share it again. Right. So don't be afraid to reuse stuff, especially if it really hits home with you. And don't be afraid to own what you just said. It's like, oh, you, you post that like six months ago. You're re just reposting. I'm like, yeah, because it resonated with a lot of people. Maybe someone hasn't seen it yet. Like that's the other thing about building your own business, being your own person is that you can literally just decide how you want to do it. There's certain, as you use the term constructs, there's certain constructs in life that you have to kind of adhere to, to navigate all the way through and generally exist. Like the second I went from in-person full-time to transition online over, especially over COVID when we were kind of handcuffed to it. I'm not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. All right, cool. So this is the, this is the spread that I will now be doing on the internet. Uh, I understand the, the pitfalls therein, and not a single person has, well, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get, we didn't touch on it, but the whole, like, especially business side mentorships that exploded right when COVID seemingly started as well. Those were weird. Um, but yeah, no one's really reached out and been like, Hey, have you considered doing it this way? And if they ever do, I'm like, I acknowledge that that might be an, an, uh, uh, a method that I haven't considered or don't want to use. There are pitfalls to me doing that. Any further questions? Like just ownership over your decisions is a very di uh, diffusing method when interacting with people that for whatever reason don't mind their business, I think is actually another good takeaway too. And yeah, like, let's take that thought just even a little bit further. There are gonna be people who just cannot live until they've forced their opinion down, their, down your throat. And I mean, converted you to their way of thinking and the reality is is no like i've encountered that sort of thing before and having the strength of your own conviction just to say no nah, that's not for me it's about boundaries i mean at the end of the day all this stuff is still about boundaries um, i don't think social media is for everybody i don't think leaning into and growing a big social media is for everybody uh I really do try, you said this earlier, to actually show a lot of the pieces of the process. There are a lot of people who are out there marketing and it's okay if you're marketing that you are a, you know, an Instagram growth guru, cool, no problem at all. Like if you're giving a lot of valuable stuff and then people self-select to want to hire you as, as a coach for that, no problem at all. Same thing with business stuff. Um, I think there's value there. I, the predatory stuff bugs me. I don't like that. And in order to counteract the predatory stuff, I try to share better tactics for free, especially with this podcast, especially with Instagram. So that way it can put a lot of coaches on the right path. And then they don't feel that they need to pay someone who is a bad faith actor. There are good people in our industry. Um, but I, I think that reading a lot of books on business media is a really good thing. Listening to podcasts, really smart people. I'm not a big fan of necessarily throwing a lot of money at direct coaching for this sort of stuff. I think you could learn it by actually immersing yourself in it, following the right people, asking the right questions. Uh, and it can feel overwhelming. And so I kind of want to cut it off there because we're telling people to go do pre-script and learn all this stuff about what you guys are teaching and then learn all these other aspects of business. Uh, you said it earlier and there it was embedded. It's, at the end of the day, it's about making the person's experience in front of you better, more accessible um, and not overcomplicating the process. So we know where to find you on Instagram. Uh, if anybody has found this episode through Eric's Media, uh, you may want to scroll back a little bit. So again, this is episode 97. There's 150 old episodes under the old, old format. But early in this format, Jordan Shallow was on as a guest. So go check him out and you can scroll through who I've had. It's the damn who's who of the fitness industry. I'm very proud of this lineup. And maybe you'll stick around and check out some of the new stuff I have coming up. 
in the meantime, if you're one of my longtime listeners, go follow Eric, go check out what he's doing. Keep an eye on Prescript if you're not already really immersed in what they're doing. Go follow uh, Jordan Shallow, Muscle Doc, and the rest of the team. And if you are local to Edmonton, hopefully I will actually see you at the lower body intensive. And again, if I got that right, that was September 17th and 18th. And that's going to be at the vault, Cody Gonick's gym. Awesome. All right, Eric, thanks again. And I appreciate everybody tuning in to listen.